Welcome to People Who Wrote Books, a podcast about people who wrote books. I'm your host, Andrea, and I am going to tell you the stories of some of my personal favorite authors. So I was in a book club once. Yes, like only once. I know it sounds like something I would really enjoy, but I'm really not great at having someone tell me what to read and when to read it. But this book club just happened to take place in a beautiful historic mansion on the bay. And well, I am a sucker for historic mansions. So this is how I was introduced to The Lathe of Heaven by Ursula K. Le Guin. Now, in addition to being an amazing book that just boggles your mind and makes you question reality, it is also written by this incredible woman. And today I am going to share a little bit about her. Ursula Krober was born on October 21st, 1929 in Berkeley, California. Her parents were Alfred and Theodora, and both of Ursula's parents have pretty incredible stories of their own. So her mother, Theodora, was a writer and anthropologist who graduated with an undergraduate degree from Berkeley in 1919 and then received her master's in 1920. At that point, she married a man named Clifton Brown, and they had two sons. Unfortunately, she was widowed after just three years of marriage. So Theodora decided that as a single mother of two in 1924, that she was going to go get her PhD in anthropology. Like, that's pretty badass. And that is when she met Alfred Krober, who is Ursula's father. Now, Alfred was an anthropologist who received his PhD under Franz Boas at Columbia. And if you listen to the Zora Neale Hurston episode, then you might recognize that name because that is also one of the people that she studied under. So, you know, small world. Now, Alfred was the head of the anthropology department at Berkeley when Theodora entered the program. He was also widowed and was a little bit older than her. Like, he was 21 years older than her, to be exact. And they were married in 1926, and together they had two children, Carl and Ursula. So now, with four children total, Theodora did drop out of the PhD program, However, she continued to work alongside Alfred. And then once the children were grown, Theodora started writing as well and published books related to her research on the Native American peoples of Northern California. So it is no wonder that Ursula's brothers all became professors. And as we learn more about Ursula, her parents' influence becomes very evident. But let's go back now to Ursula. Growing up, she was surrounded by books, and her family had two homes, one in Berkeley, where they stayed during the academic year, and then one in Napa Valley for the summers. And Ursula was writing at a very young age. She actually submitted her first short story to the Astounding Science Fiction magazine when she was only 11 years old. Now, that story was not published, but it goes to show that she took writing seriously from a young age. Obviously, she had strong connections to Berkeley, but she decided to attend Radcliffe College, and that, of course, is because Harvard was not co-ed until the 1970s, which still kind of blows my mind, but Radcliffe College was the women's college for Harvard. Then, in 1953, 
she received a Fulbright grant, which is a prestigious cultural exchange program, and was able to go to France. Her journey to France was on the famous ship, the Queen Mary. And like side note, I have toured the Queen Mary and it is definitely haunted. But the Queen Mary was a wonderful experience for Ursula because that is where she met Charles Le Guin. Charles was a young historian and Ursula says it wasn't love at first sight. She said that it took her about four nights before she knew he was the one. Ah, You know, I just love a good love story. They spent time together in Paris, and then they were married later that same year. And after they were married, Ursula decided to end her studies and moved with Charles to Georgia so that he could complete his PhD at Emory University. Now, while Charles was completing his education, Ursula was teaching French. And then in 1957, their first daughter, Elizabeth, was born. And their second daughter, Carolyn, was born in 1959. And then that is when Charles got a position at Portland State University. And then in 1964, they had their son, Theodore. And through all of this, Ursula is writing. She says that Charles supported her by watching the children in the evenings, which is when she preferred to write, so that she could get her work done. Her first two published pieces were a poem that was published in 1959 and a short story in 1961. And they were both about a fictional country that she called Orsinia. But during this time, she also wrote five, yes, five novels about Orsinia. And all five of those novels were rejected. I think this is a very important thing to bring up, especially like, at this time, because so far it's like, okay, Ursula had a great upbringing. She attended prestigious universities. She married the historian that she met on the Queen Mary on her way to France. She had her three children. It can easily appear that everything goes her way, but her first five books were rejected. And even with all of that rejection, she kept writing. Her first published novel was called Rokanon's World, and it was the first of her three-part science fiction series referred to as The Hainish Cycle. Now, these books were published, but they really weren't big hits. And then in 1968, she published a book called A Wizard of Earth Sea. This is a coming-of-age fantasy novel about a young magician named Jed that attends a school of wizardry. Yes, it does sound very familiar, right? Mm-hmm. He also had a scar on his face. Yeah, familiar. Now, the Earth Sea series ended up having six novels and a short story. But it was really her book, The Left Hand of Darkness, that she published in 1969 that made waves and solidified her in the literary world. And this book was a feminist science fiction novel. And Ursula became the first woman to receive the Hugo and Nebula Awards, which are the major awards in science fiction writing. Like, thank goodness that she didn't stop writing after having five novels rejected, right? Now, Ursula just 
kept writing and her books continued to challenge societal structures and gender and morality. And The Left Hand of Darkness is about ambisexual humans with no fixed gender identity. And yeah, she published this in 1969. So I don't think that anyone is surprised by the fact that many of her books are challenged or banned. And here is what Ursula herself has to say about that. Quote, a dangerous book will always be in danger from those it threatens with the demand that they question their assumptions. They'd rather hang on to the assumptions and ban the book. End quote. So great. Now, in addition to her 23 novels, 12 volumes of short stories, 11 volumes of poetry, 13 children's books, and five essay collections, and of course her works have been translated into 42 languages, in addition to all of that, there is also an overwhelming amount of interviews and articles that exist with and about Ursula. So this makes it difficult to narrow down the quotes that I feel most resonate with me that I want to share on this episode. Honestly, I think I could do an entire episode in her words if I wanted to, but I did decide on one piece that I just love. In 1983, Mills College, which was until recently a woman's college in Oakland, California, asked Ursula to be their commencement speaker. So she wrote a speech that she titled a left-handed commencement address. And this speech is listed on American Rhetoric's top 100 speeches of the 20th century. So yes, she is on this list with like Martin Luther King Jr. and JFK. The entirety of this speech can be found on her website, UrsulaKLeGuin.com, but I am going to just quote a line from it so that you can get a taste of why I love this speech so much. And here's a quote from Ursula K. Le Guin's A Left-Handed Commencement Address. Quote, That you will do your work there, whatever you're good at. Art or science or tech or running a company or sweeping under the beds. And when they tell you that it's second-class work because a woman is doing it, I hope you tell them to go to hell and while they're going to give you equal pay for equal time. End quote. As much as I love this speech and this line from this speech, it also makes me a little bit mad and a little bit angry because here we are 40 years after that, and it is still very relevant. Obviously, strides have been made, but it is still very relevant in our world. Ursula Krober Le Guin passed away peacefully at her home in Portland, Oregon on January 22nd, 2018. And I'm finding it really difficult to sum up how Ursula inspires me. She obviously was a determined author. She was a curious academic. She pushed societal narratives. But I think for me, it's more about the fact that she was so confident in who she was and what she believed in. And she didn't waver from that. She was steadfast in her confidence of who she was. And I think that's amazing and very inspiring. And just like there are so many interviews available about her, there are also countless obituaries and tributes that share her incredible legacy. But I think it is only fitting to end this episode with Ursula's own words. And I quote, Hard times are coming. 
when we'll be wanting the voices of writers who can see alternatives to how we live now, can see through our fear-stricken society and its obsessive technologies to other ways of being, and even imagine real grounds for hope. We'll need writers who can remember freedom, poets, visionaries, realist of a larger reality. End quote. I hope you enjoyed learning a little about Ursula K. Le Guin. And remember, behind every great book is a person who wrote it. And this person was light years ahead of her time.